0: Can you remember the first time you walked into this building? Maybe it was 20 minutes ago, maybe it was 20 years. The odd thing is that you never see a place again in the way that you see it the first time. Like that first time you move into a new flat or sit in a cafe that would become a regular. It's always different after the first time. Walking into this place, maybe it was the great wooden slats of the roof that drew your eye, or maybe it was the absence of pews, or maybe it was this bright golden orange image calling your attention from the far end up at the chancel. The image that stretches across your service sheet today. It's called a triptych, from a Greek word meaning threefold, and it describes a work of art in three sections which is hinged together. This one, made by the painter Paul Martin, has been sitting up there for 30 years. Triptychs became popular as church altar paintings across Europe in the Middle Ages, either on wooden panels like this one or in stained glass windows. Window is the illuminating word because triptychs are in the tradition of the icon, another Greek word which means image or picture. Icons are often described as windows into heaven. See-through paintings in which you see through to the unseen world. When this one was commissioned in the 1990s, St Luke's was in the process of being reborn as a kind of artistic community. Lots of musicians and writers, painters, playwrights, producers, posers. Things were so fluid that when you turned up on a Sunday morning, you never, knew, you never knew which way around you might be facing in the service, east or north or south, and the idea emerged of a mobile altarpiece which could be wheeled into a new position each week. It's interesting that today, because of the Vox Holloway concept, we're facing in a different direction. But the, the um, mobile altarpiece wasn't a new idea. Until the 16th century Reformation, many churches contained portable pictures but the Protestant reformers decided people were worshipping these images instead of God, so they got rid of them. But in another part of the church, places like Russia or Ukraine, or also Ethiopia, paintings always remained important in worship. This is the Orthodox Christian tradition, so that's different from the Protestant and the Catholic. And here an icon is not seen as a work of art, the product of the imagination, but instead as a kind of revelation Orthodox Christians see the Bible as a verbal image of God's truth and the icon as a visual image. So the painter Paul Martin, who also painted that and that, which you can't see, he was influenced by the Orthodox tradition. And he believed that art can remind people of the divine presence in life. So back in the 1990s, Merrill Doney, who some of you know, she worked with people here on a brief for Paul Martin, the artist, And as Saint Luke is known as the patron of the arts, the group came up with snippets of Bible verses which he drew at the bottom of each panel. And you can just about make them out as you look at it on your service sheet. Under the left-hand panel, you can read, praise the Lord upon the timbrel and the harp from the Psalms. Under the middle panel, in the beginning was the word from John's gospel. And then under the right-hand panel, oh taste and see, that the Lord is good and this is the line as Justin points out on the service sheet that inspired the composer Vaughan Williams in writing today's opening anthem. So the painter set to work using a centuries old process mixing beeswax with pigment and putting layer of color upon layer of color. The three paintings are set in heaven after Christ has come again in glory and the characters, they're all saints but they're kind of ordinary saints the sort of people that we might each meet each day, and some days, with luck, the kind of people we might be. So on the left panel, the saints are involved in music, and on the right panel, the saints are involved in art, in painting. And in the middle panel, all the saints face the centre, where Christ the Word stoops down to write on the ground, just as he did, explained Paul Martin, when he wrote the universe into being. When he wrote the law on tablets of stone, when he brushed away the sins that someone accused of sin. Or maybe Christ is not writing, but maybe Christ is drawing, just as the divine drew our world into being, made our universe her work of art. And then right in the center is a small child who is giving their crown back to Jesus Christ. And the child, if you look very closely, is wearing trainers. And you'll see they are converse all-stars, which were big in the 1990s. The child is us. Someone from our time and place and culture, offering their crown and service to Jesus. What's mine is yours, they might be saying. Now, if it was painted today, some of these saints might be tattooed. They might have earbuds on the side of their heads. They might be lost in the shining screen of their smartphone. If you look to the left panel, you see a saint carrying bells over his shoulders. And this refers to a time when the liturgy of the church was sung in a series of eight tones and behind him angels are playing shofars the ram's horn trumpet and next to the musician niftily dodging the bells is an ecstatic figure arms aloft a raver dancing with joy this is the penitent thief who only moments before was dying on a cross and then heard jesus say to him today you will be with me in paradise. And now, suddenly, here he is in that paradise. He can't believe his luck, he's mad for it. Below him, kneeling, another saint offers bread, while behind, an angel carries a cup of water. And this echoes how we, the church, bring our gifts of bread and wine, the mystical food and drink offered by Christ for his people. So over on the right panel, there's a painter at an easel And this is our patron, the patron saint of the artists, St. Luke himself, and he's working on a a portrait of Mary, the mother of God, who is sitting on a throne in a stunning ultramarine blue outfit. There's a tradition that icons emerged after St. Luke painted a picture of Mary and Jesus together, and that became the model for the greatest hit of all icon subjects, the Madonna and Child. But there's another tradition, and let me tell you this, there's always another tradition. You can see this one reflected on the left side of the right panel. So on the left of that right panel, there's a saint covering someone's head with a linen cloth, which bears the face of Jesus. The story goes that King Abgar in Syria had written to Jesus asking him to visit and heal him of leprosy. But Jesus was busy, in fact, he was actually on his way to Jerusalem, where he would be crucified. So instead, Jesus washed his face in water, which miraculously imprinted a cloth with the image of his face. And this was sent by D.H.L. Courier to King Abgar, and it became known as the Icon Made Without Hands. And that started an entire school of icons, which showed only the face of Christ. But, as I was saying, there's another story. And this this is that the magical cloth refers to St. Veronica, who was moved with pity as Jesus carried his cross to Golgotha and she gave him a hanky to wipe his forehead. And when he handed her her hanky back, the image of his face was impressed upon it. And here in the center of this right-hand panel, dressed in blue, like Jesus, is Mary herself. But what is she holding? Any guesses? Some of you may have heard this. What is Mary holding on that right-hand panel? Okay, I'll tell you. It's her knitting. She's holding a ball of wool. And this refers to the fact that God's son was made, that is knit together in Mary's womb. And finally, on the left-hand side of this panel, on the far left, is an, on the right, is an empty throne. And this seat is reserved. And this is because there's a seat in paradise where your loved ones will sit when they leave this life. And you and me, there's a seat, an empty seat, waiting for us with God and the saints. One of the themes of orthodox imagery is how the living and the dead are actually present together, even though we who are alive no longer see the dead with our eyes. So the cast of this triptych are what the Bible calls the great cloud of witnesses. The faithful from the past, from the present, from the future, standing before Christ and his angels. It's an icon of hope. A long time ago, Meg over there, who I'm married to, we were in El Salvador in Central America at a time of the US-backed war. There had been a bomb attack and ten people were dead and we went to the funeral. In fact, it was more of a protest, but not just a protest against the war. It was a kind of protest against death itself. And slowly, the names of the persons who had been killed were read out. And after each name, as one, the crowd of people shouted unanimously, Presente! It was a loud and defiant affirmation, all the louder for being amplified by the saints in heaven who joined in. Each person who had died, who had been separated from their loved ones in this life, was still with us. In some way, which only the poetry of faith, hope, and love can explain. This painting says the same thing. It gathers the living with the dead. It gathers all of us into the presence of Jesus. The poet, W.H. Auden, said that if we give art our full attention, It can remind us of the transcendent. He said it can enable us to break bread with the dead. And that poem we heard earlier, All Bread, by Margaret Atwood, it might be saying something similar, that everything is indivisible, that the bread we eat comes from the earth, which is the place where all life, all of us, go into death. All to dust return, as the scriptures put it, while also reminding us that we were made from the dust of the same earth. The mystics in religion have long seen how the ordinary things are alive with the divine presence. It is all that is made, said Julian of Norwich, as a hazelnut rested in the palm of her hand. When I had a significant birthday last year, our son Evan who's the nature-loving climate activist and scientist in our family, wrote me a short story in which someone we know is dead, but also alive, in which they move through the undergrowth of a strange new life and sense how their roots and branches are part of a forest of mutual flourishing, in which they are held and continue to hold others. All bread, writes the poet, must be broken so that it can be shared. That's not so far from the broken bread and the wine outpoured in the poem that we enter each week in this service. Life is sometimes broken and buried, but not forever. Maybe you sense a brokenness in your life at the moment. During our prayers, we will bring us a chance to bring this brokenness into the light of healing and hope as does this great golden icon that we can easily overlook. Take some time with it when you are in this place. Gaze on it. Touch it. Wonder at it. After we take the bread and wine this morning, or when you're lighting a candle, or after the service, take a moment for a closer look. It's a window. See if you can see through it.